Slava, Glory be to Jesus Christ, glory be forever. It's Father Basil again, doing another podcast. Hope everyone's doing well wherever you're listening from. And I'm going to continue reading from this book, Light for Life, Part 3, The Mystery Lived, from God With Us Publications. And I've been talking about uh, fasting and repentance and almsgiving, things like that. And of course, prayer. And now I'm going to talk about who do we model ourselves after? So finding a mentor. When a person decides to begin a more intense practice of the Christian life, a number of questions present themselves. How can I deal with my weaknesses? How should I pray? When should I fast? Just what should I be doing? Faced with questions like these, the believer may feel like the Ethiopian eunuch, whom the Apostle Philip found reading Isaiah the prophet. Philip asked him, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? Since each person progresses differently in the spiritual life, the formation of a believer has historically been undertaken in a very personal way. For centuries, the Eastern churches have insisted that a person desiring to live the Christian life needs the help of a spiritual guide or elder. The elder is first of all a spiritual teacher who knows the tradition through personal experience. The elder is one who is grounded in the holy mysteries and the teachings of scripture of the fathers, not as an intellectual exercise, but as the basis of his or her own spiritual life. Such a person's relationship with God has progressed to such a degree that he or she can help to guide others on their spiritual journey. The elder leads along a path which he himself has walked. The ministry of true elders in the church can only be the fruit of their own personal immersion into relationship with God. It is the reality of this relationship which gives power or authority to an elder's guidance. People listen to an elder because the truth of his or her teaching is first of all given by example. This is why the ministry of elders has always been seen as being a charismatic gift to the church, one directly imbued by the grace of the Holy Spirit. The first way in which elders such as these guide their disciples is by their lifestyle. The disciple sees how their elder lives, what values and virtues the elder seeks, and wants to realize the same way of life. This is very much like the way of teaching of the rabbis in Christ's day, a method which the Lord himself used. His followers did not simply come to hear an occasional sermon. They attached themselves to him and absorbed as much as possible of his way of life. The elder is also someone to whom the disciple opened his or her heart, revealing thoughts and emotions as well as seeking information. This relationship may be with the priest, and then often, often involves the mystery of confession, with a monastic or with a layperson. A great gift to the church is the ministry of an elder with the gift of discernment, the ability to detect the true spiritual state of another 
or to distinguish between an authentically godly activity and a delusion. The monastic life has always been the field in which most elders have blossomed. People would often travel long distances to monasteries for the chance of spending some time with such gifted spiritual fathers. Such spiritual centers are few in the Western world, but even here one can find exa several examples of traditional Byzantine Coptic or Western monasticism where such eldership is practiced. Failing access to such a beacon of spirituality, one may simply enter into a course of guided reading of the scriptures or a spiritual book designed for people in the world, such as John of Kronstadt's My Life in Christ or Tito Colliander's The Way of the Ascetics. Prayerful reading such works along with a more experienced guide will provide us with a good grounding in the lifelong adventure of the Christian life. Even if it is impossible to find a spiritual father or mother, almost anyone can still benefit to some extent from the tradition by allowing themselves to be accountable to those close to them. This goes especially for spouses in their relationship with each other and for children and to their parents. Even friendships between peers can be useful for spiritual guidance and the correction of faults. Two are better than one. If one falls, the other will lift up his companion. It is almost always true that when we fail in charity towards someone, it is a sure sign of a spiritual problem. However, however well we think that we may be doing in our spiritual life, our irritability, tendency to gossip and negativity will always give us away. Who better than our spouse or parent or best friend to gently show us these failures? We should try to welcome these corrections with humility, evaluate them soberly and in peace, putting aside every tendency to resentment. If any of this seems beyond us, we can remember the story told about the desert father Anthony the Great and Pambo. As the story goes, Abbot Abba Pambo asked Abba Anthony, What ought I do? And the elder said to him, Do not trust in your own righteousness. Do not worry about the past, but control your tongue and your stomach. If we keep before our minds the brokenness of our humanity, trust in God's forgiveness for our past sins, and guard against physical and mental excesses, we will find ourselves on a slow but sure path to the kingdom. So I'm just going to finish <coughs> this talk today by reading what's called Tales from the Tradition. The great esteem which the church has for almsgiving is found in these stories from the early centuries and from our own day. It was revealed to Abba Anthony in the desert that there was someone in the city who was his equal. He was a physician by profession, and whatever he had beyond his means, he gave to the poor. And every day he sang the Trisigion with the angels. They tell the story of a man in Constantinople who had a rare compassion. Going through the streets of the city, he put his gift into the hands of the poor and immediately went on his way to avoid hearing their thanks and became becoming known.
When one of his friends asked him how he had become so compassionate, he replied, One day in church I heard a priest say that what we give to the poor we give into the hands of the Lord Christ himself. I didn't believe this, thinking that it could not be so, Christ being in heaven. Once, though, on the way home, I saw a poor man standing in the beggar's place, and the face of Christ shining over his head. Someone passed by and gave the beggar a piece of bread, and I saw the Lord stretch out his hand, take the bread, and bless the giver. From that moment, I've always seen the face over the heads of the beggars, and therefore, with great fear, I give all the alms I can. Catherine Doherty, founder of the Madonna House community in Cumbermere, Ontario, was the daughter of a pre-revolutionary Russian nobleman in the Tsar's diplomatic corps. She describes her upbringing early in my childhood. The truth that Christ is in my neighbor was shown to me by my parents' example and words. No one was ever turned from our door bum or beggar, woman of the streets or thief. The men were welcomed by my father. He gave them a bath himself or mother would do it for the women. Then they would be given clothing if they needed it. They would be served by mother and father and by, our, by us children. If we had been good through the week and thus worthy of serving Christ and the poor, on our best linen and from our best china in the main dining room. Hmm. So, I think this shows us that we have to read the lives of the saints. We have to read about other people who have gone before us and what they have done to serve the Lord. What have they have done to honor God and to help others in our world? We really have to consider that and 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 not and, and take it uh, as an example those people who were godly who helped others and learn from their example and do it ourselves god bless you have a good day